Thanks so much for joining us. My name is Jay. I'm the campus pastor at our Matthews campus. I'm joined by Stuart and Courtney today. We want to put a melody in your head and in your heart. We're going to start with a song that's become one of my favorites, simply for the fact that it comes from one of my favorite Bible stories. Second Chronicles chapter 20 tells the story of King Jehoshaphat. He was the king of Jerusalem and Judah. Well, the king was told by his prophets that three armies, bigger and larger than his, were going to attack him. They were going to join forces with the sole purpose of annihilating the Israelites. And so as you can imagine, the king was afraid. And so he goes to God and he asks God, what should I do? And in verse 17, the Lord tells him to stand still. You're not going to need to fight this battle. Watch and see the Lord fight for you. And so as the story goes, the king did exactly that, but he took it a step further. And he said, not only am I going to not fight, but I'm going to take the most vulnerable of our people and put them on the front lines. And so he put the musicians and vocalists on the front lines. I guess that says a lot about us, right? But he did that. And he said, we're going to sing praises to God before the victory in this battle. And as it turns out, the Israelites won the battle. They gave praise before the victory even was theirs. And so we want to invite you into this song, wherever you're at today, that you might give praise to God, regardless of your circumstances. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a Praises roll, 
Hello, New City. It is wonderful to be together today. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here. How are you guys doing? Well, today marks week six of us meeting together online. Can you believe that? I read a funny meme this week. It said, turns out my hobbies are eating at restaurants, shopping at non-essential businesses, and touching my face. Humor has been so helpful during this challenging season, hasn't it? And by the way, every week we hear of someone from another part of the world joining our New City family online. This past week, someone from India joined us. And no matter where you are today, we're so glad that you're here. And let us know that you're here. You do that by going to an online form. It's our Connect form. You can find that at newcity.us connect. Fill it out. Let us know that you're here. We'd love to get to know you. And we would love to hear about what God is doing in your life. Maybe it's an act of kindness that you witnessed this week. And maybe it's how somebody creatively shared their joy with you. Or maybe it's a friend or a coworker who showed up for you in a big way this week. Or maybe it's just the, the faithfulness of God in answering a prayer. Whatever it is, we want to share in that moment together. Please let us know by emailing pastor at newcity.us. And we'd also like to thank you, New City, for all of the ways that you have stepped up to serve our city. From the blood drive, to uh, sewing masks, face masks, to donating to our partner organizations, you guys have shown up strong. In fact, this week, we had 34 people um, help pack food for Second Harvest, 16 helped distribute food through their mobile pantry, 25 people gave blood, and we have a team continuing to minister with our partners in the Gladell community. And that's just what we know about. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being the church in our city. That's incredible. And one immediate need that we have this week is to serve the students of Ottawild Elementary who don't have school supplies to use at home when they're trying to do their schoolwork. You can create school supply packets by following the instructions online at newcity.us slash serve now. And each week our serve team is engaged in our community and trying to find needs in our city to connect you with so you can serve and give. And you can check all that out at the same website, newcity.us slash serve now. We have experienced and witnessed so much generosity from our New City Church, even amidst a difficult time financially for a lot of people. Thank you so much for that. We praise the Lord for his working in you and through you in that specific way. As you can see, ministry is still happening, even though we're not gathering every week in person. If you want to support the ongoing ministry of New City, you can do that online through a one-time gift or you can set up an auto gift through the website newcity.us give. Or you can mail in the check to the church. Would you join me in praying for this offering? Father God, we worship you this morning. We give you the praise and the glory for all that you're doing in our hearts and in our minds. And God, thank you for being generous to us first by giving us your son to make a way for us to have a relationship with you for all of eternity. 
And Father, as we are generous in response to your generosity, may you just take our gifts and our time and our resources and just multiply them. Use them for your kingdom. Now more than ever, we want to serve and be your hands and feet to the people of Charlotte and the world. And we love you. And we praise all these things in your name. Amen. You make it easy to love you. You are good and you are kind. You bring joy into my life. As you make it easy to trust you. You've been never left my side. You've been faithful ever. Whatever 
the refuge I run to. You are the fire that leads me through the night. I'll follow you anywhere. There's a million reasons to trust you. Nothing to fear for you are by my side. I'll follow you Show me who you are in faith. 
this be our prayer this morning, God. Hear our hearts. that of you, Lord, that we would be able to make that lyric our truth, our prayer today, that we would build our foundation on the truth, the truth of God, and we would listen to and read from the very words that you've given to us. We would know you and love you more. Through Christ, I pray. Thanks so much for joining us today online. We're really excited here at New City for a brand new sermon series that we're starting today entitled, Why Trust the Bible? It's going to be a three-part series, so I want to encourage you to tune in over the next three weeks as we jump into this series together. But before we do, let me just take a moment and celebrate as a New City Church family, what happened last week on Easter Sunday. Many of you were able to tune in. We're so grateful to have you. And several of you made decisions to follow Jesus for the first time. Many of you made decisions to recommit or to follow Jesus in a deeper way. And we're so grateful for that. We're praying for each of you. If you made a decision and you haven't communicated that to us, please do so. We want to walk with you, we want to journey with you, we want to help you in your relationship with Jesus, whatever that might be, whether you're returning to a relationship with Christ, whether you're just starting, whether you are wanting to go at a, at a deeper level in your relationship with Jesus, we want to help you. So you can email me and our team, pastor at newcity.us, pastor at newcity.us. We'd love to know about how we can journey with you and help you to grow further in your relationship with Jesus. But we're so excited for what God did last week at Easter. If you missed the series, it's all available for replay online now. Today we're starting a brand new series entitled Why Trust the Bible. So excited for this series. Right now in our world, I think you would agree with me, there is so much content flying at us, right? 
So much content from so many places. So what makes the Bible unique? What makes the Bible different from any of the other sources of content that we're getting, from any of the other information that are, that's coming our way right now? Why should we trust the Bible? And, and here's my goal, right? Right from the, the start here with this series. Here's my goal. For those of you who are Christ followers and you say, Chris, I do trust the Bible and I read it and I study it and I, I use it as a guide for my life. I hope this series is an encouragement to you. I hope it's an equipping time for you to know further why you trust the Bible already. And for some of you right now, again, who are returning to a relationship with Jesus or just starting, or even right now you haven't started a relationship with Jesus and you're, you're even critical or skeptical about this series as you come to the Bible, why should I trust it? I hope that we'll talk about some things over the next three weeks that you can consider. So, so let's start with the scripture itself. If you have a copy of the Bible, I want you to open to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And the passage is already preloaded on the sermon app. So if you, if you have that, you can pull it up and see the outline today, my notes, and even some of the source material that I'm going to use and some of the charts today are available on the app so you can take advantage of that. Open up your scriptures again, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And let me read to you today from verses 14 through 17. This is the Apostle Paul writing to one of his uh, disciples, Timothy. And he says this to a young Timothy. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then listen to this, verse 16, 2 Timothy 3. Paul writes, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, that is the messenger of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. So Paul says to Timothy that the Bible is unique from every other work, that it's actually the words of God. Look again at verse 16. It's breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and for training, that the Bible can be trusted. You say, well, Chris, well, of course the Bible says that about itself. It's, it's self-attesting, if you will. But, but what other reasons would you give for why we should trust the Bible or continue to trust the Bible? Well, I'm glad you asked. Over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about three reasons to consider for why we should trust the Bible or continue to trust the Bible in the way that you have. Paul says to Timothy, you're already paying attention to the sacred writings. You're already growing up in the faith. And he says, the Bible is able to make you, I love this phrase in verse 15, wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible prepares my heart and my mind to accept the truth from God. It guides me, it corrects me, it reproofs me, it trains me, it equips me. So why should I trust it other than what it says about itself? Well, I'm gonna, I wanna present three reasons why we should trust the Bible over the next three weeks. And there's many more, but I just want us to focus on three, okay? The first is the history of the Bible. And I don't mean just within itself. I mean the history surrounding the Bible, looking for historical facts surrounding the Bible and what history says about 
the Bible itself. And then the, the second reason why we should consider the Bible and, and putting our trust in the Bible and the words of the scriptures are because of its uniqueness. Yes, the Bible stands apart from every other document. We're going to talk about how it does. And then thirdly, the other reason why you should consider trusting the Bible or continue trusting the Bible is its archaeology. The, the land in which it took place in and of itself. And one of my professors from Gordon-Commonwealth Theological Seminary is going to be here on our third and final week, Dr. Tim Laniak, and he's going to present some archaeological facts about the Bible and things to consider, even beyond what the Bible says about itself, for why we should trust it. But let's begin today with that first reason, why we should trust the Bible. Again, beyond what it says about itself, why should we consider trusting the Bible? The first is, it's history. The Bible, just, just to take a step back and talk about the scope of the Bible and what the Bible is when we talk about it, the Bible is the story of a loving God who desires to be in a loving, lasting relationship with people, with you and with me. It happens in real places with real people. And, and, and as such, it can be tracked. Because it happens through real people and real places, there's a history to it to understand. Again, just, just to give a little bit of scope for the Bible as we begin here and talk about this first reason to consider trusting the Bible, its history, let's talk about what the Bible is itself. Again, it's a, it's a loving God who is writing a letter to people because he desires to be in a loving and lasting relationship with them. The Bible is comprised of 66 different books. Did you know that? 66 different books from Genesis to Revelation. There are 39 books in what we would call the Old Testament or Hebrew Testament. There are 27 books in the New Testament. Did you know that the Bible was written by 40 different authors? Now, when we look back at 2 Timothy 3, the ultimate author was the Holy Spirit, was God himself speaking through these different people. But 40 different authors, different stories, different backgrounds, different uh, socioeconomic statuses, different perspectives, 40 different authors over 15 different centuries. 1,500 years that the Bible was written over that, uh, that span of time. Three different continents. Did you know that the Bible was written on three distinctive continents in three different languages? Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And not just any Greek, Koine Greek, or in other words, common Greek. I love this about the New Testament. It was written in Greek, but not classical Greek. It was written in Koine Greek, a common language that you would write your uh, grocery list, that type of language. That's the language that the New Testament was written so that the average common person could understand it. This is the scope of the Bible, and it's astounding. 15 different centuries, 40 different authors, three different continents, three different languages, 66 different books, and yet one message. A loving God who desires to be in a loving relationship with you. Amazing. Why should we trust the Bible? Why should we consider trusting the Bible and its claims? The first reason is its history. And there are three major tests that every historical document, of which the Bible is one of them, which every historical document is judged by. Three major tests. The first test that, again, every historical document is examined by is the quantity and quality of the manuscript itself. That's the first test. The second test is an external test. In other words, the historicity around the document itself, things that happen outside the, the document and whether they're verifiable or not. And then the third test that every historical document goes through, not just the Bible, is the internal test. The history that's captured 
captured within the document itself. And how does it verify with other known facts? So let's, let's put the Bible, if you will, through an examination using this threefold test of every historical document. The quantity and quality test, the external test, and the internal test. And let's start, first and foremost, with the quantity and quality test. The quality of the manuscripts that we have, particularly with the New Testament, let's start there, is unparalleled in ancient literature. We have over 24,000 partial or whole copies of the New Testament from antiquity. And if we had none of these, this is incredible, if we had none of these early copies of the New Testament, we could derive the entire New Testament, all 27 books, we could derive the entire New Testament from the early church writers and historians themselves, what they captured from the, the scriptures themselves. Again, extra biblical writings, extra biblical meaning writings that happened outside of the Bible. You could make up all the New Testament by the recordings of other historians and other writers that they took from this source document, namely the New Testament. Let me give an example, again, just, just talking about the quantity, the number of New Testament manuscripts that we have from antiquity, and how they stack up with other uh, Greek and, 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 and Latin works that we have from antiquity. So the, it's particularly in quantity. If the average size manuscript of a, of a, of a, a Greek um, work from antiquity, if it, if it measured two and a half inches, okay, so if the average Greek uh, manuscript that we had from antiquity measured two and a half inches. Most of, or on average, the, the, the Greek authors that we have from antiquity would stack up to about four feet. That's the, the quantity of the manuscripts that we have. The, the Bible, if, if all of the, 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 the early writings that we have from the Bible from antiquity, if they were two and a half inches, every single copy of them, and we stack them up. Now, the average Greek or Latin writer that, writer that we have would be four feet. The, the, the average length, right, if we stacked up all the New Testaments that we have together, two and a half inches thick each, would be over a mile. That's how it is in comparison to other early works from antiquity that we have. There are six ancient Hebrew texts. Let's go to the Old Testament, the Hebrew texts that we have. They're known as the Mesoretic text, and they date back, back to uh, around 895 A.D., so about uh, a thousand years um, uh, um, before our time now. And, and they were the authoritative text that both the, the Jewish and Christian scholars, when we uh, put together uh, the Old and New Testament and when we examine them now, uh, the Mesoretic text was kind of the, the, the standard by which they were, they were interpreted and, and documented. And many of the Old Testament texts that we have now um, were, were, you know, come, come from the Mesoretic text. They were interpreted and were written from that. And, and, and here's the deal. We don't have as many Old Testament texts um, candidly, because many of them were destroyed. When their quality would begin to deteriorate, uh, the scribes or the, the holders of those texts would destroy them. And so we don't have as many early texts as we do from the New Testament until something happened in 1947, a, a, an incredible discovery. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But the, the quantity of the, the, the text, that's the, the first te uh, test that every historical document goes through. And that's how the Old Testament and New Testament stacks up literally. Let's look at the quality of the manuscripts. Again, I said there's not as many Old Testament quantity of early manuscripts until a discovery that was made, and I'll get to that. But the quality of the manuscripts, let's start now with the Old Testament, surpasses all others in terms of, again, quality. The, the Jewish scribes would take extreme measures to ensure the accuracy of the text. The, the scribes would count lines, they would count letters, they would cr uh, count symbols, they would even circle the middle letter of all the Hebrew uh, Testament, all 39 books, to make sure it matched up in every single 
copy. The, the quality is unparalleled for the Hebrew text. The New Testament quality um, is also considerably better than other documents that we have from antiquity. The thousands of copies, remember I said we have over 24,000 partial or full, or full copies of, of early New Testaments. They don't bring any tremendous um, variance when we reconstruct them together. The, the variance of all those together would be about 99.5% accurate to the actual originals when, when, again, when they're verified with the earliest copies. And all of those variations, then it would all be non-essential grammatical mistakes or, 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 or copying uh, obvious uh, slips of the pen or, or mistakes in, in copying. It's, it's, it's incredible. One of the things that we look at when, with quantity and quality of early manuscripts, histo- all historical documents, is what's known as the span of authorship, the, the time span of authorship. And in other words, the, the earliest uh, copy that we have matched on when we know the work was, was originally written. And so I got another chart here today. We're going, we're going old school together, New City. Some old school charts here. I love it. And we're going to look at the span of authorship under this first test of quantity and quality of the manuscripts that we have. And again, part of that is to match up um, what's the earliest copy we, ha- we have with the known uh, date of the writing. So I thought I would bring some of the, uh, the other uh, writings from antiquity. Uh, many of you uh, remember learning about the Iliad and Odyssey written by Homer somewhere around 900 B.C. The earliest copy that we have of that is from 400 B.C. So that's a, what we're talking about here, again, the span of authorship. There's a 500-year span of authorship from the date that it was written to the earliest copy that we have. And we have, again, quantity of manuscripts. We have about 643 copies of these, these earliest writings from Homer uh, and some of, uh, not just Iliad and Odyssey, some of the other things that he wrote. And the earliest copy that we have is from 400 B.C. So again, span of authorship being 500 years. I'm not going to go through all of these. Uh, again, these are found on the app if you want to go further. But all of these that you learned in, in, in literature class, Plato, Aristotle, Caesar, Tacitus, who we'll learn about in just a little bit, who was a, a Roman historian from the first century that wrote about the, the early church and, and even some of the, the, the New Testament. The, the, the date that he wrote was around the turn of the century. The earliest copy we have was over a thousand years later, the time span of authorship. Now I want you to look at the New Testament here and how it compares to all of these other works, many of them that you learned about in school. The New Testament was written, most of it was codified uh, before the year 75, but it was all put together before the turn of the century. The earliest copy that we have, again, we have lots of partial copies, but the earliest copy that we have was from, is from 125 A.D. The span of authorship, look at this, is between 25 and 50 years. Look at how that stacks up to the other works that we have in antiquity. And we have, look at the number of copies. We have over 24,000 full or partial copies of the New Testament. Now you tell me, how does this stack up with the other works from antiquity? And yet in our literature classes, I think all of you, when you learned this, you learned this as what? Fact. These things were written. We verify them. They match up to the earliest copies that we have. That's not questioned. Look how the New Testament matches up in the quantity and quality of the manuscripts. And specifically the time frame and the time span of authorship. It's incredible. The, the, the Old Testament, let's go to the Old Testament now. 
the Hebrew Testament time span between manuscripts of the original autographs was much wider. I referenced this before. We had the Mesoretic text. We had about six of them from somewhere around uh, 900 until 1947. And what was uh, William F. Albright described as the, the greatest archaeological find of all the 20th century, probably even beyond the 20th century. A few shepherd boys were throwing rocks into a cave in 1947 outside of a place called Qumran, and they heard the sound of breaking pottery. They went in to find leather pages and scrolls stuffed within jars, what would become known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Israeli Antiquity Authority owns them now, and they've gone on display all over the world. Some of you have seen the Dead Sea Scrolls. They visited the city of Charlotte back in the 2000s. Gleason Archer says this about the Dead Sea Scrolls, this incredible find, which helped us to find early uh, copies of manuscripts that would go a thousand years earlier than the ones that we had before. Gleason writes this, even though the two copies of Isaiah discovered in Qumran Cave 1 near the Dead Sea Scroll in 1947 were a thousand years earlier than the oldest dated manuscript previously known, again, the Mesoretic text, they proved to be, this is incredible, they proved to be word for word identical with our standard Hebrew Bible in more than 95% of the text. The 5% variation consisting of obvious slips of the pen and variations in spelling. It's unbelievable. The Dead Sea Scrolls, you can go further and research that, contain uh, portions of all the Hebrew books. Every single one of them except for Ezra and, Estra and uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. Incredible verifying for us the Mesoretic text that we had a thousand years later. Again, quality and quantity unmatched with other historical documents. Let's look at the second test, the external test. In other words, the history outside of the Bible, the things that happened out of the scope of the Bible that other historians wrote about the, other, uh, about the historical events that are recorded within the Bible itself. In other words, how does history, external history, match up with the claims of the Bible? Again, McCaffrey writes, if every Bible in, consider, in, a, in any considerable city were destroyed, the Bible could be restored in all of its essential parts just from the quotations of the books on the shelves of any city public library. In other words, Western literature has been more influenced by this work, by the Bible, than any other historical document. If you destroyed the Bible, you could make it up in all of its essential parts from the ways that it's been quoted and referenced in other literature. Around the turn of the century, uh, Sir William Ramsey set out to prove that Luke was a fraud. Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, and then the continuation of the same book, the same letter, the book of Acts. They go together, Luke and Acts. And so Ramsey wanted to, to prove that Luke was a fraud as a historian that the, the history that he captures can't be verified externally. So he set out on a painstaking investigation throughout Asia Minor and Greece to show that Luke was a fraud. And instead, and I quote, this is what he reported after his investigation. Luke was an historian of first rank. William F. Albright, who I referenced before around the, the findings of the Dead Sea Scrolls, he was an archaeologist, he said this, there can be no doubt that the archaeology, the external source of history, the land itself around the Bible, has confirmed the substantial historicity of the Old Testament tradition as we find it in the Bible. 
let me give an example of external evidence and what we mean when we talk about matching up the Bible and the claims of the Bible with external evidence. If I were to interview one of your grandparents, say your grandmother, if I were to interview your grandmother and I were to listen to her story and where she grew up and, and who she married and, and, and what house they lived in and where she worked and the children uh, that she had and the, and, and the places that she visited, how would I know, other than because it's your grandmother and we love your grandmother, how would I know that your grandmother was telling the truth? If you interviewed my grandmother, how would you know that she was telling the truth about the story, the history that she gave? Well, you would corroborate it with other pieces of historical evidence. So you would pull birth certificates, government documents, deeds of trust. You, you would look at all kinds of school records, uh, all, all kinds of different documents that are out there external to the story that she told herself to verify and corroborate whether that story was true or not. And that's what we mean when we talk about the external evidence of the Bible. And when we match it up with other historical documents and other, other things that were written around the Bible, it matches up. And even though the external test of, of the Bible, when it comes to the history of the Bible, it can't prove in and of itself the claims of the Bible, it certainly supports the claims of the Bible, the facts of the Bible, because the Bible is locked into history. Again, the Bible happened in times and places and with people. And so we can look at other extra-biblical writings, words outside the Bible, to attest the history of the Bible itself. Let me just give a couple of these uh, from early historians that we have. Let's look at Josephus. He was a, a Jewish historian who wrote this at or around A.D. 37. He wrote, Jesus was called the Christ. And in his chrono, uh, chronological, chronological order of history, namely in the first century, when, when, when he wrote his, his history of the first century, specifically in AD 37, he recorded in his history, so Josephus did, that people were calling Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. Again, it's not just the Bible that says that Jesus was the Christ or that people were calling him the Christ. This is a, an external historian who's saying other people were calling Jesus the Christ. Let's look at Tacitus. Remember we said that he was a, he was a historian, a Roman historian. He was also a Roman senator. Uh, he, he, wrote, he wrote many different um, histories, and in uh, several of them, he re referenced the movement of Christianity. It wasn't known as Christianity then, but he talked about the people who followed Jesus. And one of his entries uh, that, that was written in the first century, he wrote this, the Christian movement is now widespread. So in other words, an external historical document that is, that is verifying for us that this was true, at least in the sense that other people were believing that Jesus was the Christ and, the, and that the movement was widespread around the Roman Empire. Interestingly, he also recorded in his histories, Tacitus did, that Jesus was crucified. It's not just the Bible that says that Jesus was crucified. There were other histories, just like historians are writing about 21st history, uh, century history that we're living in right now and will write about us. And even this moment that we're in right now, they'll write about this. Tacitus was writing about the first century. And he thought to include in there that, hey, there's these people that are saying that this person is the Christ and, 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 and are following Jesus as the Christ. Uh, uh, Jesus was crucified. Crucified. He verifies in his history that, that this man was, was executed. He also interestingly verifies, Tacitus does in his writings of history in the first century, that there was a fire in Rome. We know that that happened in Rome in AD 64. We know from other works of history that that happened. And he says that Nero, who was the emperor there, blamed the Christians 
We know the persecution of the Christians that happened. It's verified in extra-biblical writings what's being said within the scriptures themselves. It's incredible. Here's the last one. Pliny the Younger, again, another historian. He was an attorney. So if there was a younger, there must have been an elder. And there was an elder. There was an older. It was his uncle. They were both attorneys uh, around the turn of the first century, and they both wrote histories. Pliny the Younger wrote this in in his history somewhere around A.D. 120. Jesus' followers... This is what he wrote in his history. Again, something outside of the Bible. He wrote, Jesus' followers worshipped him as God. Worshipped him as God. Not just what the Bible says. These are other historians who are writing about the Christian movement. Every historical document is tested by its quantity and its quality. It's tested by the external history that's happening outside of the document itself. And then finally, it's it's tested by its in eternal claims. In other words, what happens within the scope and the sequence of the document itself? What does the Bible say about its own history? What are the historical claims that are captured in the Bible? And there's a lot of them. What does the Bible say about itself? This isn't circular reasoning. It's just examining the historical uh, claims of fact in the Bible as um, recorded in the Bible itself, particularly when it comes to history. Let's look at Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, turn over there. Again, what is the history that's recorded internal to the Bible itself? Uh, most of the, the writers of the Bible were historians. They, they, they chronicled this history for us to see. Luke begins his gospel this way. Luke chapter 1, let's read verses 1 through 4. Luke writes, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, It seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. What is Luke saying here in these first four verses of his gospel? I want to write a history. I want to chronicle the events that have happened. And moreover, he doesn't say just things that I've heard, things that other people and myself were eyewitnesses to. I want to write all these things down. I I want this to be a history that you can keep and that you can read so that what? Verse 4. So you may have certainty concerning the things that you have believed. I said one of my goals for this series, Why Trust the Bible, is that those of you who are are reading the Bible and you do trust the Bible, that you might have certainty concerning the things that you're believing. And for those of you who are skeptical right now or critical, you'd have things that you would at least consider. The Bible is not once upon a time in a faraway land. The Bible is history. It's people. It's real people. It's real places, it's real times, it's real kings, it's, it's real kingdoms, it's real mountains and rivers and lakes and animals and measurements and communities and countries. It's real events that happened over the scope of time. It's history that can be verified. Go and read, since you have Luke opened, go and read Luke chapter 3, just the first two, three, four verses, and the amount of, of, of verifiable history that Luke chooses to include in his gospel. Let's go to John for just a second. Uh, The apostle John writes this in John chapter 19, verse 35. Again, internal evidence, that that test. What is the Bible, the history within the Bible itself, and can it be verified? John says, he who saw has borne witness. 
Verse 35, John 19. He who saw it, in other words, this history right in front of my eyes, I'm the one that's giving testimony and witness to this. That it's true so that you might believe. In other words, John's saying, I'm writing these things down in history. I'm writing these documents, these letters. I'm, I'm writing all this down so that you might know that it's true and you might believe. Uh, let, me, let me read one more with you while we're here today. Again, from the Apostle John. He says this in 1 John verses 1 through 4. Again, the, the final test of every historical document is the history within the document itself. What the authors themselves are saying about, about the, the, the verifiable things that happened around them in history. John says this, That which from the beginning, which we have heard, and which we have seen, eyewitness, with our own eyes, which we looked upon, which we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life, Jesus himself, this life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and we testified to it, verse 2, and we proclaim to you eternal life, which, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. First John chapter 1, verse 3, that which we have seen and that which we have heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. In other words, we're writing this history. We're writing all these things down that we heard, that we saw, so that we can communicate it with you and you might know that it's true and you might believe. Now, now, let me just say this. Most of the New Testament, right? Most of the New Testament was written between 47 and 70 AD. It was all codified before the turn of the first century. There wasn't enough time among all these different authors. There wasn't enough time for them to, 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 to send out a, a, or create or propagate a, a lie without each of them uh, uh, contradicting themselves, without each of them saying, no, that wasn't true. We, we, we didn't see that. We, you're making something up. In other words, these are eyewitnesses to history itself that are writing it down. And if they weren't verifying it, they, would, they were still alive when the New Testament was written where they could say, this letter isn't true. This isn't true. Guys, the, the early apostles couldn't agree on who to replace uh, Judas with. They argued about a lot of things. Who's the greatest? And yet they're going to keep all of this the same? No, if someone stepped out and said something that wasn't true, they're going to correct it and say it. Or if they said, if they're saying something that is true, which they do here, they're verifying and cooperating with one another. Let, let, let me show you one more chart to show you what I mean here. Because again, the, the New Testament was codified during the span of, of most of the authors during their lifetime where they, they could have verified it or said it wasn't true. Uh, th this was done by Newsweek and obviously it was before 2016. But, but, it, but it shows eyewitnesses to major events of the 20th century. And before 2016, if you would have said, well, the, the, the Cubs won a World Series in 1950, someone could have said, all of you Cubby fans could have said, regrettably, no, that's not true. That, that, that never happened. Or, or if someone were to say now, on this side of 2016, well, the Cubs haven't won a World Series since uh, 1908, you could say, well, that's not true. They won in 2016. We were there. We remember it. We celebrated together. We, we couldn't believe it happened. We were eyewitnesses to this event. And, and then uh, how, how about we get to this one, the O.J. Simpson criminal trial. Remember that? 
So, so uh, the, the last estimated eyewitness to, to that trial will die in, in t- uh, 2108. So we can look forward to 2109 to, to no one being an eyewitness of the O.J. Simpson trial. But until then, if someone were to come along and say, yeah, that never really happened, we would say, oh, no, it happened. We remember the, the, the white Bronco. We remember the whole thing. We remember all that. And we can tell you because we saw it and we heard about it. We were eyewitnesses to it. In other words, the, the span of the eyewitness, when the, when the New Testament was codified, when it, when, when it was all written out and put together before the turn of the, the, the first century, there wasn't enough time to propagate a lie without it being corrected by people who were actually there. The, the internal evidence of the Bible itself, the history captured within the Bible itself is overwhelming. And, and the truth is this as we finish today. Within most major universities, the Bible, what we're talking about today, within most major universities, not all, but a lot of them, they, they trash the Bible, you know. It's, 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 it's torn apart and it's disparaged within a lot of religion departments and universities. But here's the amazing thing as we talk about this first uh, evidence, if you will, for why we trust the Bible. Within the history departments of those same universities, the Bible, where it's disparaged in the religion departments, it's cherished in the history departments as the gold standard among all other historical documents. When it comes to these three tests that every historical document is placed under, the quantity and quality, the external test, the internal test, the Bible passes with flying colors. It's unparalleled in how it measures up to the scrutiny of this threefold test with historical documents. The, the reality is this, that most of the time the issue that we have with the Bible, these 66 books that are, that are put together through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and authored by God himself, the issue that we have with the Bible oftentimes is not its history. We see today how it stacks up in history. It's the issue that many of us have, the struggle that we have with the Bible is the claims of the Bible, the truth that's captured within the Bible itself. Mark Twain wrote, most people are, you know, they're, they're disrupted and they're discouraged and they're bothered by the passages in the Bible that they don't understand. Twain said, I'm, I'm disrupted and discouraged and sometimes bothered by the passages that I do understand, the claims that are evident in the Bible over my life. And we're going to go a little bit further with those claims and talk about them as we continue the series next week by looking at the uniqueness of the Bible. We'll talk about things like the production of the Bible, the prophecies of the Bible, the proclamations of the Bible, and we'll continue our journey together, Why Trust the Bible. I hope you'll join us again next week. Let's close together today with a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you were and you are and you always will be. God, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and for that we're grateful. Thank you for the gift of your word, your word, your word of life to us, which makes us wise to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We're so grateful today. Would you give each and every one of us, would you give us wisdom today to know what you're speaking to us? And would you now give us the faith to go and to obey? We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Remember, you can uh, go back and look at some of the, the study notes and the outline from today's sermon, some of the source documents that I used in putting this, this first sermon together, and even the charts 
are available on the New City app under the sermon notes and the sermon questions section. I hope you'll go deeper with them today. Would you extend your hands if you're able for a benediction as we go today? Now may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you, each and every one of you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And may the Lord today and always fill you with his unending peace and love. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We love you, New City. Sweet.